ultimately you can write a lot of tests but there is really nothing like for certain models actually putting it out there and getting actual feedback because you have no idea what reality is and then faithfully being able to put that to a small set of people and that's a pattern that web application people have been using for decades i wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor talent insights talent insights are australia's leading data specialist recruitment business they are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams they are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in australia and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Welcome everyone to another episode of Data Futurology. In Data Futurology, we speak to leaders and executives in the data analytics space in general, and we discuss what are the challenges that the leaders are facing, what are the things that they're thinking about, and the idea is to bring to the audience and the community different perspectives about how to solve the problems that we're all facing in the industry. So the idea is to really have a conversation around how we can move forward together. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here today. A couple of announcements before we start. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Talent Insights, who have been sponsoring for a long time, and uh, they allow us to provide this content for the community for free. So please show them some love wherever you can. As usual with, with our guests, all of their views is their personal views. So they don't represent the company or the organizational views, but this is their, their personal views. And that definitely allows them to, to share their personal perspectives with all of us, which provides a lot of the benefit. And today we have our very special guest, Nitish Matthew. He is the global head of data engineering at Afterpay, has been doing a phenomenal job there and has a really refreshing stance on data engineering. So I am very excited to have you in the show. Welcome, Nitish. How are you feeling today? Well, thank you, Felipe. Um, like with most people in Melbourne, I am feeling a little bit low, but I think uh, like with everything else, we shall overcome this as well. It's great to Definitely. be here today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And definitely uh, the people in Melbourne have shown the, the, the resilience of, 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 you know, the, the community. Um, so definitely wish everyone to, to stay safe during this uh, snap lockdown and hopefully we can, we can get through it um, quickly and, and get back to, to, um, to life, uh, more, more normal life. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for making the time today and um, yeah, for coming on the show. Maybe we can kick off by by um, or I'll kick off by asking you if you can tell us about your uh, your role um, as global head of data engineering. What does that entail, uh, and what is the overall the, the remit? Sure. Look, um, uh, the role um, of the team that I lead is to assist different people in Afterpay. That includes data scientists, analysts, uh, product managers, engineers, finance people. Uh, ML ops people, a whole bunch of uh, stakeholders to get data that they need to do their job and then consume them in the most effective, fast manner. That's that's the role of the group. That is that is fantastic. So I yeah I, I love that you start with uh, both the focus on the team and the and the focus on 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 helping on assisting on 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 enabling. Um, so tell us how how long have you been on the role and and what has the the journey so far looked like. 
Uh, I've been uh, in this role for four years. I had the chance to actually build the platform from scratch after we, when uh, we were a 150 people company four years ago. Uh, look, it has been a phenomenal ride. We've had to reinvent ourselves three times. Uh, in a very real way, we had to actually get rid of our first platform. Then we recently got rid of our second platform and we had to start from scratch again with our third platform because a company like Afterpay, right, the aspirations are global in a very 100 country sense. So, uh, so it, it's been a tremendous learning journey and uh, no days, no days the same. That's right. Yeah. So, and, and uh, getting to, to build it off from scratch, that is, um, you know, that is a such a rare opportunity in, in, in people's careers. Um, and, and, you know, it can be, both exciting and, and daunting uh, to to feel the the pressure of of making the decisions that that one day uh, you know sooner or later could become legacy. Um, how how did you how did you approach that that part of the journey? Uh, actually, you just said the answer in your question. We we don't assume that this is for the next ten years. We build things with the view that we will need to get rid of this in two to three years. Because what we realized is Afterpay's problems will change in two years. The technology opportunities that are going to come up in three years, nobody would have thought of. So when we consider these two things, we have, we've realized that we don't need to get too stressed about building something that will stay for 10 years. Because uh, we, we put a, an expiry date to our platform before we start building it. I love that. Um, that is That is definitely a... Um, quite a quite a novel approach, um, I think, in the in the industry, um, and yeah, and definitely like I'm saying saying it from from the perspective of at least my experience. And like for example, I used to work in in a large bank at in at ANZ, and um, and the thinking was always you know decades, <laughs> and and um, so it's it's really it's really interesting and and definitely uh, refreshing to take a take a different stance on that. Um, how does that change your either your decisions or your or your day to day? And when you when you have a, um, a perspective or when you start with a perspective that the the tech will change, the business things will change, and that you'll have to adapt. Um, how does that change the way that you operate in the in the team? The reality is, my role in the team is actually not to make a lot of decisions. My role is to actually coach the engineers and the managers. Uh, across the multiple teams that I have to make those decisions themselves. Because, because of the scale and scope of a company like this, um, unless we empower the people who are very close to the customer, the customer in this case being, uh, let's take a risk analyst. The data engineer who's having a relationship and understanding of the risk analyst or a data scientist problems are much better placed to make decisions to help them than me. So uh, to some extent, I don't have these challenges. My goal is to give them rubrics, guidelines, uh, coaching on how to learn, how to upskill themselves, um, how, to, how to actually communicate things well, and how to make technology decisions fast. And then probably my number one role is if things go wrong, to apologize to people. <laughs> so it's the shield between, uh, so that people have psychological safety to make decisions. I love it. I love it. I love the... Um the end user or the customer focus, um, the enablement and, and to have distributed decision-making uh, with guided by, by overarching principles for the team. Um, that, that is a, 
a powerful combination that definitely I can see how it has enabled you to to move fast um, and and to you know have have really happy happy customers um, which yeah which I'm, I'm I'm very excited to to get into as well um, and before before we jump into into that side maybe we can start in the in the front part of the um, of the journey of a data professional um, within within your um, within your organization or the way that you've designed it. And one of one of the things is in a in a discussion which which became the um, the title for the for this talk is around enabling data scientists within within eight hours. Um, and yeah. I think that that is a amazing aim. Um, can you tell me more about how that came about? Sure. Um, I, I'll say two things, right? That came about at Afterpay <laughs> because we realized after we built the second platform, the third platform, that we've solved technology. Then we asked our users, what do you need? And they said, look, this is really good. I love you guys, but it takes time for me to actually do stuff. I, I'm saying sometimes it took like a week for somebody to be doing stuff. So what we said, all right, people are able to be productive in a week. What can we do to do better? Let's try to aim for a day. Because after pay, we really think in terms of moonshots. So that's how this goal came to be. And then look, I was reflecting on this and I was reflecting on the price data science. Right? And then I thought about, look, science is something and the scientific method has been in work for millennia. What are the technologies, what are the thinking in science that we can adopt? If you take any scientist, they go through a process of research, experimentation, and and putting things or making things. Now we call it productionization, right? If you take that analogy, right? What people do to do research? They, they may go to library and read things. They may then take uh, their learning from peer-reviewed journals to and put it in the lab. Then they may actually work with an engineer to in the in the traditional sense, go to a factory and make things. Why can't we do that? I mean, if you think about, uh, if, if, let's take research, right? My son, my seven-year-old son, he loves reading books. My daughter also, she's 11. When we take them to a new library, nobody needs to give them coaching on how to find the books they want. They know intuitively to go to, uh, how to search for the books, find the books in a rack in a library, and then get the books that they want. They know where to take the books and read them, and they know to actually get the books out. Mm. If you think about the data scientists now, right? Why can't we aim for a data scientist to be able to join a company and be able to query a data lake or data warehouse like any library? Why do they need to wait for a week? So that's my thinking as to when a data scientist joins Afterpay or any other company, I think as an engineering professional, my aim should be to think like a librarian where they can come in and they can actually get the information that they want to do their research immediately. And then the next step is, uh, if you think about uh, doing analysis, if you take the data science use case, how do you do modeling? How do you do testing, right? With the compute power that we have provided by the different cloud providers, it is not that difficult to instrument frameworks in which they can run a thousand experiments in parallel and still not cause an arm and a leg. We need to do some hard work ourselves so that that complexity is abstracted away from them. And then productionizing the model, I think there is still a lot of work to be done there. I was actually in conversation with somebody from UC Berkeley three weeks ago on some work that they are thinking of doing in the future version of the AMP lab. 
and um, and these have not been solved. So I think two things: the research bit with data lineage, dictionary, uh, searchability, I think is fairly mature. Mm -hmm. uh, the second bit of experimentation is also from uh, experimentation from uh, running different ML models is also fairly mature. But the productionizing bit still needs some work to be done. And uh, I think if we can get these three things working really well, eight hours is definitely possible. Amazing, amazing. I, I, um, I love the clarity in, in your thinking and definitely, and, and the analogies, like it really helps bring it, bring it to life. Um, what, what are the, some, uh, so tell us a little bit more about the, the three, the three, the three areas in terms of what, what you would like to, to see, um, what, yeah. what are the, yeah. Could you expand on those? Sure. If you think about, let's take the library case, right? It, look, I've got a bookshelf behind me. Usually, if I want to find a book over there, I have to ask these staff from scratch every day because I have no idea where I put it. So if you take the uh, data warehouse, right? I always tell my, uh, my engineering colleagues, what would Steve Jobs do? Mm -hmm. If Steve Jobs were to actually design a data warehouse, how would he think about it? He would think about even something as simple as having the least number of tables, having the least number, starting from having proper names for tables, having very well thought out column names. Frankly, if we do our job properly with empathy to users uh, to enable them to find things fast, we probably can actually do away with a lot of the additional constructs we have uh, had to put on top of that, like a data dictionary, metadata, and all those things. So I think we should start from purity in fundamentals. Let's, let's put, let's engage with the users, make sure that they can find the information quickly with, with good design of tables and naming convention. That's, I think we should start from that. The second bit is, okay, we've got tables. What do they mean? The context of data, what I've realized is, it's not a technology problem. And in a company like Afterpay or any other reasonably sized company, the context of a very specific set of data. If you think about, let's say the case of, let's take an insurance company, and then suppose they want to solve a problem with, um, uh, with car insurance. The context of knowledge that surrounds the, uh, let's say, uh, accident data that is used for uh, finding future premiums for, uh, uh, for automobiles may be very different from the insurance treatment of something like houses. So the analysts in those areas and the subject matter experts in those areas should be able to contribute and give context to those things in, in a real sense, right? What we should be doing is giving them, let's say a data dictionary and then enabling and making the UI very easy for SMEs in those areas to populate and add context so that when a new colleague joins their team, they don't need to spend three days to explain to them. It's all there in the data dictionary. They can read mm -hmm. through it and understand Okay, I've got tables. What do they really mean? So I think that's where data professionals and like engineers can actually help with give structures, make it easy for uh, people to actually add context to data sets so that when they, somebody new joins and it's very easy for them to use. I think the third bit, right? If you solve the data tables, if you save findability and access, the third bit is actually usability, right? Everybody wants queries to come back in 10 seconds. Now that is a problem that can be solved only with really good technology and really good education. Mm -hmm. it, it, you can have a, a million CPUs and have a million 
um, gigs of RAM, but select star from a, a trillion row table to your laptop is never going to come back. So I think there's a coaching uh, bit involved there on how to actually enable users to actually write, write queries and give right tooling and then give coaching so that they can run these questions experience fast, right? And that involves not just SQL analysis, but also if you take Python or Spark or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. You can't tell a data scientist, uh, no, you need to learn Spark or Scala to actually get things fast. You need mm-hmm. to provide abstractions on top, which... Uh, and make them accessible through something easy like Python, which they can consume. So that is where data engineers like uh, us need to think like Steve Jobs. I, I keep coming back to Steve Jobs because if we if we can create data platforms that look like Apple products, I think we're done. Right? Yeah, that is. Um, I love that as as a as a standard. Um, that is great, and I'm just I'm just um. um Getting some some key quotes and, and summaries from uh, from as you as you're talking and sharing those on the on the chat and yeah I love that in in the library um, analogy you're talking about how to make it easy to for it to be understood uh, so in the understanding easy to access and easy to use um, we have a comment from Bella there saying I love the analogy of a library and Steve Jobs in setting up the platform for data scientists very logical and intuitive. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. Um, that is, that is great. Um, so library was, was uh, part one. Yeah. Um, tell us about, about part two. Okay. Uh, if you think about the lab, right? What do I want if I'm a data scientist, right? I want to be able to, uh, let's say I want to optimize uh, pricing for a product, right? I've got like five different ML models. Do I run them serially? Because uh, my uh, data engineering colleague said, you can't use more than X percent of your CPU or does my data engineer tell me, hey, click this button and then run 15 different models in parallel. Don't worry about the cost. I would probably want a second. Mm -hmm. And then what I would want, okay, so now I kicked it off, let it run in the background. And then can I actually get feedback on that stuff? I don't want to wait for a model to run for, three hours and then get feedback. It didn't complete at the last moment because of an error, right? How do I have good telemetry on these things? How do I get uh, a lot of uh, good uh, error correction? Mm-hmm. How do I get good coaching on actually how to do these things properly? If you can abstract away with good interfaces at the technology level, that is great. But, but what I've realized is people need to talk to each other. We need to give technology and we need to actually coach our uh, colleagues on how to use these things properly so that they can actually get the best outcomes. I think success is that the goal that I should be setting to uh, my engineering colleagues is your goal is not to build the fastest product. Your goal is that your data scientist colleagues is happy. And for them to be happy, you need to uh, make sure that she or he is able to do their job very, very fast. That involves a whole bunch of things, including giving proper, easy to use performance tooling giving good data, which is use case one, and then making sure that on a daily basis it works. People, you know, like 15 years ago, somebody started, uh, there, was a, there was a famous picture of a, a world leader saying mission accomplished on top of an aircraft carrier. Yes. The mission is still on. <laughs> Launching a data platform and saying mission accomplished, no, it's just a start. Your mission is on a day-to-day basis, is your data scientist colleague happy? 
Mm-hmm. That's it. I think we need to change our outcomes. Our outcome is not that I have a better way to data. Our outcome is that I have 100 data scientists who are enjoying their work. And our goal internally within our team is at Afterpay, can we provide an environment which is so good with both step one, which is data, and step two, tooling, and uh, putting things into production. Step three, that the data scientists in our company should join the company and they see if they get a job offer from another competitor, they don't want to leave because even if they get a higher salary, they will never get such a productive, happy environment to work in. That's our, mm-hmm. that's our meta goal. Man, I love this. Um, as you were talking just then, we had a question come in from Fiona that says, uh, Nitish has a strong focus on empowering people to make decisions, which is great. Was this part, or was this already part of the organizational culture at Afterpay or uh, did you work to develop this within your, within your team? Look, uh, I'll be very honest. This sort of happened because I realized that if I try to make all decisions, I'll probably burn myself up. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and 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 I think it's it's the it's the um, the trait or of a of a good and effective leader to um, to take the the approach that, that you have to um, to realize the um, the limits that everyone has yes. uh, to find approaches that are higher leverage uh, to uh, to yeah. empower and enable others. This man, I love it. It's it's a great great way to do it. Um, so I've got the, um, the, around the lab. So what, what I, I captured around the lab is to, uh, run models and experiments in parallel, have ongoing telemetry and feedback throughout, um, getting coaching on how to do it properly. Um, and, and, uh, on the, on the lab part, and then that was part two. And then part three is around the, the productionization, yes. uh, part. Yes. Could you, could you t- uh, expand on that for us? Look, that is a tough one because I think a lot of work has been done uh, in that uh, in that point, right? I think uh, there's anecdotally there's a lot of trade press which says that there's a lot of work that's done, but it never sees the light of production. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, people, data scientists, the charm and the and the potential of data science actually the sheen is wearing off a little bit, not because of data scientists, but because we've not worked to get to get things out of value. Ultimately, the rubber will hit the road and there'll be questions asked. So we, we didn't really spend a lot of time on that. It's, it's probably um, more on engineers than data scientists. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to do is, let's say I've created a model, right? How quickly can I put it into production? And what does that mean? Can I actually provide a framework where the data scientists themselves can add a lot of tests that actually are run every time when you want to click the button, push to production, so that they feel confident, right? Nobody wants to do a bad job. Second thing is, can you actually have systems like, can we do A-B testing? Can we actually release it to like launch darkly flag in, in, uh, in web uh, applications, right? Can I actually release this model to one percentage of the population and get feedback and then quickly tweak it? Can I mm-hmm. do a rollback? Uh, can I actually, uh, another way is, okay, now the, the feature engineering use case, right? Uh, can I actually build new models based on curated features, which are clearly labeled, which others have built? So I think if we solve, um, how can we actually launch in a very safe manner, get feedback, write your own tests and be able to run the tests and get feedback, um, and also have supporting structures like good feature engineering uh, systems uh, that are very usable, right? Then I think if we can solve these three things, that productionizing bit also becomes easier. 
and and one thing that i want to call out is the um ultimately you can write a lot of tests but there is really nothing like for certain models actually putting it out there and getting actual feedback because you have no idea what reality is and then safely being able to put that to a small set of people and that's a pattern that web application people have been using for decades i mean I why can't it. we why can't we actually do that there is a lot of work to be done uh, but we should aim for nothing less than that man this is this is fantastic i um yeah i i i love the, the way that you're um you know creating the or defining this this kind of like new new area is by picking the best of of what you've seen around and and creating this you know amazing amazing um approach so what i have on production with just here now i have around speed uh speed to production uh the testing including ab testing um tracking monitoring uh, having it safe and and i i like the idea of scaling in a in a step-by-step -step manner. So to start small and, and um, to offering it to few uh, customers or users and uh, increase as it's successful. Really good. Um, as you, as we're talking there, uh, we got a question from Pat. Hey, hey, Pat. Um, he says, hi, Nitish. Uh, your philosophy of making the life of a data scientist so good that they don't want to leave is amazing. Uh, really on point. He said, how do you ensure your data engineering teams feel the same? Do you assign a percentage of time to R&D? Um, do they contribute ideas or new tech as they see fit? Um, do they take part in open source uh, or, or any anything else? Yeah. <clears throat> Look, uh, the answer to all those things is, is trust. So ultimately, it starts from, uh, from managers in my team trusting their engineers to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, to answer all your questions, we don't allocate a specific amount of time. They don't need to ask for permissions because remember, if we set the proper outcomes, the outcomes that they have is not how many lines of code they write or how many Jira tickets they close. We are a data team. We survey our end users every six months and say, are you happy? And then if they say, no, I have these challenges, then we tell the engineers, look, your goal is this. The question that the managers and my team ask the engineers is, this is a problem we need to solve. We have hired you for certain skills and expertise. What, how can I support you to learn what you need to learn? What tooling, what sort of compute, what sort of uh, frameworks do you need? How can I help you do that? And then let them make those calls. So we don't need to specify a percentage of time. They know how to manage their time well. And frankly, we've been working in that model even pre-COVID also. We didn't really care about when do you come to work, when do you leave, or if you feel like watching Netflix at 10 a.m. in the morning. It doesn't matter. Right? If you're passionate enough, you will actually, uh, if you're focused enough, you can actually get your work done in 30 hours instead of 40 and still be productive. Because I think a lot of work in companies, not just in data, is just busy work, which has got no point. So we are, ultimately, I think leadership's role is to get the outcomes right and then support people with coaching, technology, uh, uh, decision-making with resources. I think everything else should just work out on its own. Love it. Um, and I'm just writing that one down. Um, you mentioned there something which I, um, I love the fact that you do this and I definitely want you to expand on it and tell us a bit more about um, how it gets started and what you do there. 
measuring your customer or user happiness. Yeah. Um, how, how did that start and, and what does it look like? Brilliant question. Look, four years ago, uh, one of the engineers in, in our team, right, he started and he said, um, we were like four people and he came in and said, you guys seem like a good group, but I, I would like to understand you more. Then I reached out to uh, um, one of our, my uh, a good friend in HR team and said, uh, I said, look, uh, he has asked a great question. I have no idea what to do. Then she said, you should start with the survey. Uh, so I just completely followed her advice. That's pretty much it. She, uh, so, um, so what she said is, uh, okay, for us to do this offsite, why don't we understand where you are at? We'll do two surveys, ask the team where, what we need to focus on, and ask the users of the team four questions. Rate the performance of the team from one to 10. Then ask three questions. What should the team start doing, stop doing, and continue doing? Right. We got a lot of feedback. And then what we did is we kept the same questions and asked the same questions every six months. For the, have we been doing that for the last four years? So again, I, I come back to this point. We, we are a data team, right? Surely we should manage our things driven by data. And the simplest thing is ask people the question, rate us. And then I'm very happy to say that um, we actually took on board the feedback people gave us and then did things. And then our, I think our initial score was like 8.5, that is like 9.5. It's an NPS of 100. Everybody is either a nine or a 10. Amazing. So, uh, so it is not my idea. I, I, I shamelessly stole something that my HR friend told me. I said, let's just do it. Mate, I don't think that um, I don't think that counts as a steal. I think that is <laughs> that is like excellent, um, yeah, excellent leadership, and and definitely, um, I love your focus on on leading and managing by outcomes and and creating the right feedback loops around the the outcomes that you want to see. Uh, and this is this is a perfect example of being very deliberate about that, very focused on on the right metrics. Uh, amazing. That is that is great. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.